pray and thank you. Amen. Romans 11. Before reading verse 33, the Lord showed some of the mechanics of where we are in redemptive history with the Jews and with the Gentiles now being brought in as a, 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 what, a, 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 a wild olive branch, right? Grafted in and made to have relationship with God. And on the heels of seeing the mechanics of it and the, 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 the theology of it, we come to verse 33 where there is a, 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 an overflow of not just the knowledge but the, the reality that, that that knowledge has transformed who, who we are or who Paul is and us because he's writing to the Romans. But since it's still around, he's writing, God is speaking to us as well. So Paul says in verse 33, oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, exclamation point. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor and who has ever given to God that he should be repaid from God? I added from God. For from him and through him and to him are all things. The mechanics of salvation, all of it from Adam and Eve through redemptive history to whatever your name is. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So Paul, in reviewing what's been happening, the mechanics of redemptive history, he gets to a place where he has to break into doxology, which is what we would just call worship. And then he moves from singing because that those verses 33 through 36, they're viewed as a hymn. To the passage that we'll be focusing on this morning which is Romans 12, 1 and 2, which is very familiar to most of us. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the, ple the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So Paul, first of all, he calls everybody, he, he's in light of what he's just taught, in light of what he's just saying, he's aware that, that he's speaking to brothers and sisters, to people who've been, as, as Paul told the Ephesian elders upon leaving, people who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Per and he's writing to Gentiles, right? He's writing to people who were not in the beginning of redemptive history, were not part of the plan of God as we, as we have embraced it at this point. But he says that he, he calls them brothers and sisters and then he urges them, but he urges them not out, out of his authority that he has as an apostle, but he urges them in view of the mercies of God. 
the mercies of God. The mercies of God. Ah, just by a show of hands, how many people know that God is merciful? Okay, so that's almost 100%. Not everybody raised their hand. So, um, but most people know that God is merciful. But the question is, how does that mercy function in your mind and your outlook on life? Yeah, we know God is merciful. We can say, yeah, thank God for this, thank God for that. But, but how does that mercy function when things happen in life that obscure the goodness of God? The goodness of God may not be an experienced reality right now, whatever right now is. But the mercies of God must be brought into view. If what we sang is going to be a reality, if we're not going to be moved by what we see, then we must call the mercies of God from wherever they may be in our mind to the forefront so that they can function for us. Because if they don't, then we won't be aware of his goodness. We won't be aware of his mercy. We'll be disappointed that he hasn't done for us what we want him to do, that he's not operating like us. And if we do that, then we are putting our place, ourselves, excuse me, in God's place. And that's not something that any human being should desire to do. Even though we, yes, we, including me, do it quite often. But the mercies of God must function for us. The mercies of God must allow us to navigate this life in such a way that we are living for God and not for, that we're living for God and his character and who he is, not just for God and what he's capable of doing for us. So in view of this mercy, Paul urges these people to do something and to urge is to push along uh, with force, to impel with force or vigor, to cause to come along. So it's like if you, it's not literally like this, but this, my background just always comes out sometimes. But it's like putting somebody in the headlock and saying, hey, we're going over here. Right, right, right. This is what we're going to do. So he's urging them in light of God's mercy. God's mercy has to have a, re we, there must be a response to God's mercy. And so that response, that response is that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now that section of the passage, and if we could just, just put that passage, uh, verses 1 and 2, back up there from time to time, uh, that would be helpful. Because right now we're looking at, um, we're, we're looking at the section uh, that, that says that we are, he's urged us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This section of that passage has a sacrificial tone. Now, the, I grew up, as many of you know, reading the King James Version. So there's, there's yeah. where it says present, yeah. there'd be a word called offer. Mm -hmm. Right? So you would offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So before I run, run around, because I'm not going to run around on this, I will let you know, because I agree with what 
John Stott said, if we, we can leave that up there, as he says in his Bible Speaks Today commentary, that Paul represents us, God's people, as priestly people who, in responsive gratitude for God's mercy, offer or present our bodies as living sacrifices. These are described as both holy and pleasing to God, which seem to have a moral, seem to be the moral equivalence of being physically unblemished and without defect and a fragrant aroma. So if you remember the Old Testament offerings, they would have to bring something that was uh, an animal that was unspotted, that was unblemished, that was uh, clean by the uh, Levitical standards uh, to the Lord. And they would offer the sacrifice, right? And if you would think, think to uh, Elijah when he's taunting the prophets of Baal, right? They don't, their God doesn't respond. God responds, right? God responds. How does God respond? Does anyone remember? He responds with fire, right? He consumes the, the entire offering and the water. He consumes everything, right? So when the offering in a situation like that, the, 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 so this is not the temple sacrifice that, that I want you to have in mind here, but I want you to have in mind that type of out, outdoor in front of everyone's sacrifice. That sacrifice is shown to be pleasing to God because the fire from heaven comes down and claims that sacrifice. So when Paul is talking here, he's talking about us offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy to God, which means it's set apart for, for God. It's without spot or blemish. It doesn't have any defect. And pleasing to God. Pleasing. The, 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 the corresponding illustration is the, the God receiving it. Right. In the Old Testament. So we're to live in such a way. Obviously, thank God he's not consuming the living, living offered bodies because neither none of us would be here right now. But we're to live in such a way that we are presenting ourselves, our lives as set apart to God. And not just set apart to God. Unfortunately, I don't know how how this happens, but. There are people who try to set themselves apart for God. That don't look like they pleasing to God. So I, I, I you know, I've, I've given up uh, some of my social media for, um, f for uh, this this season that we celebrate, that some people celebrate Lent. Um, but one of the social media apps I would uh, engage with quite often would be TikTok, and on it. Yeah, so, I'm so Now I don't know what y'all hold on. I don't know what y'all watch on y'all's joint, so don't be judging me. So on my somebody else wanna do this? No. Nah, nah. So on my feed I will see people who are trying to teach people about God. And the way that they try to teach them has such vitriol and has such self-righteousness and demeans anybody that's not them. That I'm just wondering, like, how does this person think they're actually representing God when all they're doing is being argumentative? 
they're not trying to teach. They're trying to, they're trying to show you in a way to like make you bow down to what they believe. And what they believe is not even accurate. <laughs> but their, their spirit, they're like, now, they're like James and John when they wanted to call down fire on the Samaritans. But you can hear it in their tone. You can see it on their face. Man, if you're not walking with us, you know, one, one dude, and I was about to call him my brother, but he told everybody on there, I don't want you, you're not my brother. Yeah, exactly. He was carrying it like that. He was like, no, you not my brother. And and tone just like that, just like that. But talking about the Bible, talking about God. So some people try to live in a way that is holy to God or they think that they are. But they're not pleasing to God. Because their spirit doesn't even match like what it seems like they're trying to do. And I say seem like because I, I, what you're doing, I can't call that. I can't call that preaching. I can't call that representing God. I can't. I can't. I cannot as a preacher and none of us should be as evangelists or whatever we are. We cannot say, OK, man, if you're not calling Jesus Yeshua like you ain't saved. That's not right. Because Jesus, yeah, yeah, and, and the dialect. I mean, what language are we speaking? We're not speaking uh, Hebrew, right? <laughs> That's not what we're speaking, right? He, the Lord knows who we're talking about. But the point here is that we can, we, can, we can live in a way in which we think we're holy because we can establish righteousness on our own. Romans has already showed us that. So our sacrifice, if we are not um, uh, uh, if, if, if it does not have the fruit of the spirit in what we're doing, then we're not going to be pleasing to God. The woman at the well, you know, the, Jesus didn't say you don't, you worship wrong. He just said you worship, but you don't know what you worship in, right? So her worship wasn't pleasing to God, right? In view of who God is. See, that's why the, the mercies of God have to, if you're aware of the mercies, there's no way you're talking to people like you have a hell to put them in. Instead, you talk to them like, you know what, I've been rescued from going to hell and I would love, I would love for you to be rescued as well. My heart is that you wouldn't have to go there either. And here's a lifeline. Not you ain't my brother, you're not my sister, get out of my face, not that. No, not that. So to be pleasing to God is our goal. Not We want to be holy, yes, but let's make sure we're pleasing to God. Let's make sure we're doing the right thing in the right way. And what's that? That is according to God's word. What does God's word say? As Pastor Curtis said often, but not very recently, but you'll be familiar with it or you'll learn about it if you haven't heard him say it. What fruit of the spirit is this? Right? That, that's that's a, a grid through which we should process our actions is what fruit of the spirit is this? How is God glorified in this is another way that we can assess whether or not we're walking in a way that is pleasing to God. One of my phrases was, where's God in all of that to people? Well, where was God in that? In that action? I wanted to do this. Yeah, man. Like, where's the Lord in that? Where's the Lord in that? 
So we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And this would have been like a shift for the Gentiles of the day because Greek culture would have minimized or even demonized the concept that God could be glorified through our bodies. Because from their perspective, and we can relate to this on some level, I can relate to it, I won't speak for you, but I can relate to, to the fact that there are uh, ungodly appetites and fleshly appetites that seem to come be natural for human beings to participate in and the body is what they use to participate in those things and so it can be like oh man rid me of this body but the Christian point of view is that you can we can glorify God in our bodies with our bodies yes it may be difficult it's going to take some work. If you ever come to me for premarital, this is the first thing. If you ever get married and you say, Pastor Mike, I want you to perform my work, this is the first thing I'll tell you. Hey, I'm glad to hear that. That's wonderful news. Congratulations. <laughs> but let me tell you this. If you're trying to get married, you have to consider whether or not you're willing to spell love differently than L-O-V-E. You still got the L-O-V-E, embrace that. But don't be surprised that it's going to take some W-O-R-K to express that L-O-V-E. If you're going to be surprised about the W-O-R-K, then you might not want to express your L-O-V-E through getting married. Like, you might not want to do that because it's going to take some, some work. Um, so, so living in a manner that pleases God with our body also comes with work. It's not just going to cooperate with you. The old man is still part of us, right? And the body's appetites don't just be like, all right, man, Jesus is here now? Okay, I'm gone. No, no, that's not, that's not how it works. It's like, okay, yeah, you can have this. You know, not, no, it doesn't. As a matter of fact, you know that, that, that Matthew uh, 12, 43, it talks about how like when unclean spirits go out of people and they come back and they find a place like clean, like, oh my goodness, God, somebody been here and they cleaned up. My <laughs> then... He leaves and going and gets uh, uh, more spirits that are more wicked than him so that next time, you know what, it's just going to be more difficult for you to respond to the Lord. So, so you know what, it takes work. The old man is not just like, yeah, man, I, yeah, you're right, man. Yeah, mm -hmm. okay, I obey. No, it takes work. And I will say this. This, this, this is a, a quote from a leadership book, but it applies to the work that must be put in um, in terms of, 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 of offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. Um, in his book, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, um, John Maxwell says that if I want to be inspired, I attend an event. If I want to grow, I submit to discipline. So when it comes to sanctification, if we want to grow... We have to be disciplined. That means we have to embrace that W-O-R-K. And we'll get to what that looks like in, in, in just a moment. But remember, it, it, we, we can glorify God through our bodies. This is what, what uh, Matthew said. Um, he said this. I don't think I gave this to uh, the crew, but if I did, cool. If I didn't, you, can, you, you have ears to hear. So um, he was asked, what's the, greatest, uh, the, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he um, and obviously, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, 
and with all your mind. That still doesn't talk about the body, but that shows us like what we're supposed to love God with. I think that's more of a comprehensive, like we're supposed to love him with everything. But James in chapter three, verse 10, he talks about. He's, he's coming after the inconsistency of people saying that they live for God, but saying things that don't glorify God. So he says, blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? The answer is no. That's me saying the answer is no. Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? The answer is no. That's me. Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh Water. What is the implication there? The implication is that what, as Jesus says, in, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's inside comes out of the body, right? The mouth is part of the body. It comes out. So the way that, the, so, so we can glorify God with our bodies, but the work has to take place in the heart. It has to take place in the mind. But Jesus says, well, Paul says that this is your true Worship, which means that when we sing, that is definitely an expression of worship. But more so when we live and the way we live is a, a worship. Our lifestyle should be a lifestyle of worship. Lifestyle of worship means do I sing all the time? No, not necessarily that. Um, but lifestyle that I'm, I'm, I'm mindful of, of the, the mercies of God. I'm mindful of what God has done for me. I'm putting those things before me, right? So I can remember when that person cuts me off, that I received mercy. So be merciful. When the person answers me in a way that seems like, man, why are you talking to me like that? Rather than asking, man, why are you talking to me like that? Um, which I have done before. <laughs> but usually with, a, with softness so I can be soft but sting at the same time. But anyway, don't follow my lead on that. <laughs> but when I want to say something and it feels like I shouldn't say anything in the moment, there's a bit of pause then I have to remember the mercies of God because I'll do what's natural like anyone else would without remembering the mercy and without remembering that I can Live my life as an act of worship to God. That I can do that. That is, it is not. He doesn't tell us to do. He's not playing chess with us like this. He's not saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to let them believe in my son. I'm going to tell them I give them the ability to overcome sin. Romans 6. Um, and then, you know what? I'm going to just set them up to fail. That's not what he does. That's not what he does. He Cause us things that we're capable, cause us two things rather, that we're capable of doing by the Spirit of God. He doesn't call us to do anything that by the Spirit of God we're not capable of doing. And so we have to remember this because there will be a voice in your head that says you're not capable of doing what God calls you to do. Or maybe it's just me. Maybe, I, maybe I'm the only one who's heard that voice in their head that, you know what, right now you should just go ahead and do this because. Fill in the blank. You, you can't, man, this is too hard right now. You should just go ahead and, man, we have to remember that 
the enemy, he tempted our Lord. And like if we are like our Lord, we are going to be tempted as well. So verse two, verse two begins to it, it, verse one just tells us what our true worship is. And then verse two tells us like, like the, how. How we can do this. And the way we do it is not being conformed to this age, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And the result of that is that we can discern what is the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. So to be conformed is to act in accordance uh, or harmony with something, to comply with something, to conform to his rules, to act out of the prevailing standards, attitudes and practices of a society. We're told not to be conformed to this age. There are so many things that we could point to to say this is something not to be conformed to. That's something not to be conformed to. And I'm, I'm just going to use one. I know that, uh, I mean, I'm not friends with everybody. Um, <clears throat> if I lose friends over this, I still love you. Um, I'm still your friend. But this one thing, I and mean, this is just one thing, right? Um, this one thing that, that's very popular now, in my opinion. That I, that, well, I see it a lot, so that's why I'm saying in my opinion. I don't know if you've seen it, right? Um, and and let, me, let me caveat this. So, so the problem is not necessarily the statement with me. It's the way people embolden other people for things that I think aren't right in this. I just want to say that your truth and my truth is not necessarily the truth. Yeah. My truth and your truth are not necessarily the truth. People encourage and I understand why we encourage each other and I would encourage on some level as well. But it seems that we have a, a difficulty with. We feel we feel like this. We feel like this. So at Solid Rock Church, we assume that we I mentioned the diversity earlier before we before we started the sermon. Right? We assume that we are so diverse that we have people who um, are on different sides of the political platform. We, we assume that, right? That's why you, we would do a series like Stay Balanced. That's why Pastor Kurt would do that, right? One of the things that, that, that gets me, though, about politics is that people cannot speak the entire truth about the political party they support. They speak some truth, and they avoid the uncomfortable truths about their political party. They will tell you everything that this person's done that's good, and they and they, and it may be true, right? So, man, give them, yeah, you know, honor them, give honor to where honors do. But my brothers and sisters, as believers in Christ, first of all, we shouldn't be partisan. 
Our affiliation is higher than that. That was my wife, so our uh, affiliation is supposed to be higher. So my wife, for those of you on live stream, told me to say it again, so I said it again. So we, 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 can't, we, we can't get caught up, like the, the, t- Paul told Timothy that, that, you know, good soldiers in Jesus Christ can't get caught up in civilian affairs. Politics is civilian affairs for the believer in Christ. But yet we live in this world. I, I, I vote, so just so you know, I do vote, so I ain't saying I don't vote. So, so I, but, but the manner in which we engage with that and the way we treat our political parties or can treat our political parties is also the way that we treat people who may... Uh, you know, may have been victimized in certain ways. Like there may be truth and there may be appropriate response. But that doesn't mean that all of a sudden this person has become an angel. Or that this party is perfect. No, we should remember that we should remember to think not critically in the way like we're trying to criticize, but critically in the way in which we are, as we'll see, discerning what God's will is. Right? Because we're called to, as we, 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 we just read it, it's at the end of the, at the other verse there. But we have to be able to discern what God's will is. And, and we even have this, this, this proverb, right? I don't know if you've heard this before, but, but somebody says, hey, look, man, there's his side, there's her side, and then there's the truth. Well, what do people mean when they say that? What they mean is that your perspective is going to color how you present what you saw. It's going to impact that then her perspective is going to, you know, color how, how she recounts what happens. And usually, some, this is why we need third parties sometimes. Usually neither one of them are accurate, completely accurate. So I think that one of the, th- one of the things in this world, in this age, if you would, that is something for us to be on the lookout for is being accurate with the truth yes. Amen. because people are so inaccurate with the truth that you don't know who to trust. And really, you know, scripture, even Romans said this, let God be true and every man a liar. So we have to make sure that ultimately we are trusting. We are trusting God. So we want to make sure that we are accurate. Ephesians 511 says, um, do not participate in the in the in the works of dark, the ungodly works of darkness, but instead expose them. Now, I don't think we're supposed to be going around like the, the sin police or anything like that. Or else I don't think we'll, you'll be around long because people will get tired of you and become sinful towards you and may even like be like, man, you don't even need to be here. Um, but there are there are ways to expose the truth in love. Yes, sir. As a matter of fact. We're told to speak it in love in Ephesians 4.15, excuse me. So let's make sure that we are able to be objective enough to validate whatever needs to be validated. This is, yes, please do that. But do not say, all right, man, I'll drink this, this Kool-Aid, the Jim Jones kind of Kool-Aid, and I'm just, all my discernment is going out of the window. No, that passage tells us that we need to learn how to discern God's will. Now, I think that shouldn't be something that characterizes the church. So that's just something in our, in our age. But I think something that does characterize the church that, that is uh, prominent in our culture, and I think it will remain so, is 
Consumerism. Like, I think consumerism is something that just, like, it's, it's just, we live in the United States. We have, you know, you probably aren't wearing what you had on yesterday. You know, you, you, you probably don't have to do that. Most, most of us, probably all of us in here, we don't have to. Do, you probably, um, I mean, some of us are good at, probably good at eating leftovers. My wife who spoke earlier would tell you I'm not so good at that. I'm not, I'm not so good at that. I even have a five-year-old grandson who, was, my wife tried to give him something from, uh, from the day before, and he was like, no, no, that's old, that's old. He's five years old. This brother only in kindergarten, and he knows what he, so it's like, man, you know what? He, imagine what he's going to be like in 10 years, you know, like, you know. So in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, Tim Keller is talking about the difference between consumerism and covenant. But I think it's appropriate and it will do our minds good to hear this. He says in chapter three, sociologists argue that a that in contemporary Western society, the marketplace has become so dominant that the consumer model increasingly characterizes most relationships that historically were covenantal, including marriage. Today, we say we stay connected to people as long as they are meeting our particular needs at an acceptable cost to us. When we cease to make a profit, that is, when, when the relationship appears to require more love and affirmation from us than we're getting back, then we cut our losses and drop the relationship. This is also called commodification, a process by which social relationships are reduced to economic exchange relationships. I'll stop right there. A consumerist mentality can not only affect marriage, it can affect church membership, it can affect your relationship with others in the church community, it can affect the relationships with people who you're not married to that are part of your family. Just the, what, the, 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 the Janet Jackson, dun, dun, uh, what have you done for me lately? Dun, 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 dun. That's, we, we, we can't bring that what have you done for me mentality into, where, into the church. But it's almost impossible not to because like we live where we live. It's possible if we remember the mercies of God though. It's possible if we remember that God has a claim on us. And not only that, we, this is the thing about the covenant. This is the thing about the sacrifice. So, so back, back in the days when Abraham and God were talking about like what God was going to do to and through Abraham, in chapter 15, there's this, there's this, uh, like this consummation of this covenant. Abraham's told to get some, some uh, animals, chop them up. He chopped them up. Put them yeah, on the side, so this is the aisle. And what was supposed to happen is that you would say, you know what, say if I was, if, if, if Jose and I were entering into a relationship, a business relationship, then I would say, um, you would have these animals there, and I would say, Jose, I'm going to do X, Y, Z um, with you. I'm, hey, if I don't do it, may what happened to those animals happen to me. And then I'd go down there, and then I would be like the covenant. In Genesis 15, God tells Abraham to put those animals there. And then God, in the form of fire, he walks down the middle. And he says, so be that consequence for me 
if I do not do for you what I've promised to do for you. This is the thing. If we fast forward in redemptive history, Jesus became a sacrifice so that we can live our lives as a sacrifice to God. He says, you know what? You think this God thing is not working? Remember that he's already sacrificed himself. He's done that prior to. He didn't say, so, he didn't say let this be a consequence. He instead went first and then invited you to believe in his work because he rose from the dead and to place your trust in him so that you and I might become the righteousness of God and not have to be treated as those animals or like Jesus. We have to remember that God has brought us into covenant with him in a very, 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 very painful way through his son, Jesus Christ, to free us from consumerism so that we would embrace sacrifice ourselves. And that is part of what it, even Jesus said. What does he say? If you would come after me, the first thing you must do is deny yourself, then take up your cross. That's you becoming a sacrifice and follow me. Christianity 101. So let's, we, we, let's acknowledge that consumerism can affect us. But let's say that we don't have to embrace it as well. We don't have to. Because why? Again, because the spirit of God is within us. And the spirit of God can help us, can transform us. So the, the moment we believe in Jesus Christ, the moment, the mechanics of this is the moment we believe on him, the moment we call on his name, we don't have to necessarily pray what's called the sinner's prayer, but there has to be some acknowledgement between yourself and God that, you know what, I need you. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son, and I'm willing to live for you, not for myself. So you, if you do that, then you become a believer in Jesus. Now, are you mature as the most mature believer? No, you're not. But are you as saved as the most mature believer? Yes, you are. Yeah, that, that doesn't change. You're just as saved as a person who's been saved for 50 years walking with the Lord as a living sacrifice the whole time. Remember the thief on the cross. Remember him. He was on his way to death, right? He was dying. And yet he becomes a believer, right? But the W-O-R-K of maturation begins with the call to be, well, it begins with the negative call not to be conformed, do not be conformed to this age, to this world, but then it's to, what, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we, you know, I think we all know what, what uh, transform means, so I'll just move right along, but why the mind? The Bible tells us about our minds um, we, we're supposed to let the mind of Christ be in us. We're supposed told in, in, in Colossians 3 that we're to set our minds on things above. We're to make our minds think about things above. So when, we, when, when, when Pastor Kurt was talking about like uh, developing a sense of awe with God, well, part of that is the work of putting things that cause you to be in awe at the forefront of your mind, whether that's reading your Bible, whether that's reading books from people who just had a good relationship with God and you, they say things in a way that just speak to you, um, whether it's prayer. I, I think all of those are, are necessary um, to help us to be transformed because our minds, so in, in one sense, our minds 
um, are, are made new when we trust in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, um, if any man be, be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So there's, there's newness there. But the, prop, the, 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 the issue is we've been made new, but we need to constantly be renewed. Yeah. Right? So we need to constantly be renewed. So just think like if you if you drive most most of us I don't think anybody lives next door so um, you probably drove here and you know every two years you got to renew the renew the registration them tags that's, that that kind of thing well like we have to renew our minds daily in some kind of way we have to renew our minds daily because the mind as we as we described as Jesus said out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks the mind and the and the heart. They, they will use them synonymously, um, but the mind is necessary to be renewed because we're called to have the mind of Christ, yet we were born with, and for however many years you've been alive, um, you function with the mind of whatever your name is. And now you're called to function with the mind of Christ. So you renew your mind by setting your mind, as Colossians 3 says, on things above. And setting your mind on things above excuse me, <clears throat> has to take place um, over and over and over again. It's, it's, it's something that is needed daily. You, you know, if you, if you kind of, you know, if you skip a day, you're probably not going to notice much impact. But if you keep skipping days, you'll see the impact. You'll see the impact. You'll see the impact. Most people eat every day. Most of us. Sometimes we don't, you know, if we're fasting, but most of us eat every day. We know that the benefit of eating healthy every day will be good for us. We need to remember that the benefit of, of being in God's word is a benefit to us as well. And the benefit, the benefit is this, the, 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 um, the last part of the verse where it talks about um, the effect of being transformed by the renewing of our mind. The effect, which feed, this effect feeds into what we're called to do. This effect feeds into our ability to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. So the last phrase beginning in so of chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 12, verse 2, says so that. So we are to Not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that, so that if you do this, then this will happen. This is an equation, right? Or sort of like an equation so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. Now, remember, I even mentioned today and I mentioned it probably too much, but growing up with reading the King James Version, it comes through a little bit different. And so the way that I would have read this would have. Uh, would have made it seem like the the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God were parsed out. Like there's a good will of God, there's a pleasing will of God, and then there's the perfect will or the decretive will of God. But that's not, I don't believe that's what's in view here. What's in view here is coming to a place of maturation such that we discern what God's will is. God's will is good, it's pleasing, 
and is perfect. And the will that we're talking about isn't the decretive will, it's the functional will for our life. In the context of, of, of this chapter, what's coming next is ways that we're supposed to behave, right? Um, they're they're going to be parsed out, right? So, so he's not talking about God decreeing. He's talking about, like, no, the way you function, the way you live. Like, so you, you're discerning this so that you can live in accord with the will of God for you. So it is like, it is like Hebrews chapter 5, chapter 514, which we're supposed to be uh, memorizing, but, uh, which says that solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. So their, 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 their senses have been trained. They've exercised it, right? They, 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 they are discerning. So this, this training puts them in a position where um, they can discern between what's good and what's not good for them. That always begins, and it's never out of accord with God's revealed word. So, like, whether or not I should go to college, um, th- that, that's not something that I'm going to find in Scripture. Like, Michael, you go to college at the age of 55 since you've never been before. You have two more years to prepare yourself for this college experience. That, that's not that's what we're going to find in Scripture, right? But do we have the categories to have a fork in the road where neither decision is sinful and we have, should I take this job or should I stay here? Okay, this job has like more money. Hmm, that's a, all right, ain't nothing wrong with money. Okay, I'll put it. But. This job, I work weekends. Hmm. Okay. This job, I have good relationships with everyone who's there. I don't work on weekends um, so I can go to church. I have evenings off. There's some evening work here. God doesn't tell you, hey, don't take the job and take that. It doesn't, doesn't tell you that. But that's where your mind being transformed by the renewal Helps you to discern, like, it helps you to put them joints on scales. Which one should I take? And you can, and let me say this just to release you, too. Like, I don't want you, like, scared to make a decision, man. (laughs) And you'd be, like, 55 and haven't been to college and you want to go. That's not me, by the way. I don't want to go. I mean, (laughs) so, yeah, nothing's changed about me in school. Um, So, (laughs) but you, you can only... Make decisions based on the information you have. That's something else you should. If, because if you if you are just you, you got to make decisions. If you're a grown person, you got to make decisions. So you can only make decisions based on the information you have. But you should take the time to assess the options you have to see which one is going to benefit you spiritually and which one may not. Because I read this tweet. I haven't gone away. Twitter's not something I'm, I, I gave up. But so Twitter. On Twitter, I saw a tweet from a pastor who said something to the effect of there are people who choose to forego religious, well, he said church. I think he said church. They, 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 they choose to forego church attendance with their children so that their children can participate in athletics. 
And then he said this, and it stung. But I ain't do this with my kids, but it still stung. So this, so he said, some people are more concerned that their children have well-rounded lives than where they go for eternity. Now, the truth of that may not be exactly, they might care, but the functional reality is like, what, which one are they sowing into, right? So I think discernment gets you to a place where like you could, somebody could be offended by that, right? Man, what are we talking about? You know, <laughs> many people will be offended by, or you could consider like, Man, what does he mean when he says that? Well, what he means when he's saying it is that, you know what? They are foregoing access for their child to hear God's word in the, as a part of community and building them into a different community. And, like, that community doesn't necessarily have to be sinful. Um, it, may hard, it may be hard for it not to be, even if it's Little League because of the parents and stuff like that. I've been had a child in, in, in Little League. Um, but anyway, that was a long time ago. Um, so it doesn't necessarily, I'm not assuming that it's sinful, but that's the, that's the point. It doesn't have to be sinful. It's what is God's will for my life? Where does this end me up? Well, having your mind renewed by the word of God gives you the categories to discern his will. Gives you categories to discern his will. Not his decretive will. You know, did, you know, I'm, I'm convinced, this is me, I'm convinced that, you know, in Revelation, when, uh, when death rolls out, like, I think we've been in a, a, on a horse, you know, one of the four horsemen in Revelation. I'm just convinced he's been on the earth uh, these last two years. I can't prove that. I mean, you know, that's not something that's, 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 that's within my pay grade, for real. So that's, that's, that's speculation, right? It's not. It's not. But, I mean, I wore my mask. I, you know, did other things to bless other people and myself. But we don't, we don't know everything, right? So I can't say, yeah, man, if the horsemen out, man, we all in trouble. Nah, I mean, we, we, we need to figure out, like, okay, what's, what, what, what do we do, right? Because life is, unf- how do I function? So this passage is telling us, this section of it is telling us, we renew our minds. We, we do not embrace what the world calls us to. We look and see what God has said, and then we make decisions that maybe God doesn't explicitly, you know, this chapter and verse tells you, like, what college you should go. We already know that's not there, but there are categories there to help us think through in a biblical way because our minds have been renewed. And I think the more, the more we have submitted ourselves to that, the easier such decisions become even to the degree that you don't even realize you're making a decision. It's not like, oh, yeah, man, I thought about it. It's just like, wow, man, I did this, and, like, I ended up here, and, like, I'm, I think I'm where I'm supposed to be. Wow, Lord, thank you. I didn't even, you know, I prayed a general prayer, but I didn't think I would be, like, beside this wolfer right now, you know, Lord, but this is your will. No, I'm, you get what I'm saying. Right? Case in point for me was yesterday, just having boxes of food left over from our food distribution, um, I was able to tell two ladies, you know what? I didn't have in my plan to come here today, but you're here. My wife has something to do, ends me up here, and like, so you're welcome for these two boxes of food. And would you please, would you please, please think about it this way? God is looking out for you. If you never see me again, he knew you needed food and brought you food from just out of the blue. So that's how you should think about that. 
So I think the, 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 the longer and the more we submit ourselves to renewing our minds, the easier it will be to discern what the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God is for us. That will be made, it'll be made manifest. It will, it will show up. We, again, we only have the, 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 the tools or, or the information we have to make a decision. But when it's informed by God's word, we can be assured that because his sheep hear his voice, that we will end up where God wants us to be. So let us remember the mercies of God. Let us be intentional to remember the mercies of God. This, this week, take three minutes a day just to contemplate on where would you be if God had not arrested you? Where might you be if your life continued on the trajectory you were headed before God graciously saved you? If you've been saved for, uh, uh, you don't remember when that happened, that's fine too. Just remember, just look at the new, don't be like the Pharisee who was, you know, contrasted with the, with the tax collector and they prayed. But like, just know that but for God's grace, the worst things you see could be where you, where you would be if it hadn't been for God. Intervening in your life from an early age and think about all that you've avoided, all that God has kept you from because he decided to save you from a young age. But let's make certain that Every day this week, for just three minutes, that's not a long time at all, that we contemplate the mercies of God and that we think about how we might be able to walk out a lifestyle of worship to him. Again, not a lifestyle that's always singing, not a lifestyle that I like to whistle, so I whistle uh, a lot. Um, but it doesn't have to be that, but just cognizant that, you know what, um, man, I, Lord, thank you. I get to live for you today. Thank you for that interaction with those with those two women. Thank you for people who was like, oh, you're a pastor. What church are you a pastor? At? And I was able to tell them and invite them. None of them are here today, but I was able to invite them. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, that some kind of way they heard your name today and that I had something to do with it. Thank you, Lord, for that. Because, I mean, we're made human beings, period, are made to have impact. That's why if a piece of your hair falls out, that's your DNA. That was, he was here. Right? Some of your saliva, just, just those things, that, that's nasty. But anyway, um, <laughs> that is. But it came to my mind. So anyway, um, but, but, the, but the point is, as God's people, we can make an intentional impact for him, not for us. Right. And so my point is, in light of what scripture says, let's view God's mercies. Let's be intentional to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to him by not being conformed to this world, by being not, not critical in a judgmental way, but critical like, hmm, is that right or is that wrong? Um, and not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And then having the confidence that we will be led into God's perfect will for us. It'll be good and pleasing to him. It has also has the imagery of the sacrifice um, that we mentioned earlier, but I can't get into that at all for the sake of time. But, friends, this is what we get to do. Like, we get to represent the Lord like this as his people Different from the world, not different in that like, man, we ain't trying to be like them, but different like, like God is with us. 
So let us have confidence um, in his presence with us as we live lives um, that's, that are sacrificially worshiping him uh, day after day after day after day. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your activity in our lives. We thank you for bringing us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your marvelous light. We thank you for the grace that we've experienced, the grace that would identify us as your people before we even knew what that even meant, before the foundation of the world, your word says. And to know that you guarded our lives, especially for people who know that they jeopardized their life. Thank you that you guarded our lives and protected us and sustained us till such time that we would submit joyfully to your plan for our life. Father, we ask you that you would help us to remember the, the privilege that it is to be people who can live their lives as a living sacrifice to you. Help us to embrace that. Help us to uh, live in the good of that. Help us to renew our minds. Please bless any who may not have picked up their word in a long time. I pray that you would please, uh, that you would please begin with some of the passages that were read today. Lord, please rejoin them to reading your word. And then, Lord, Lord, I pray that you would give us all, all of Solid Rock Church, all who are here, all that see this message, Lord, a hunger and a thirst for your word. And, Lord, would you transform us by the exposure to that word? And would you, would you, would you, would you help us to see that many are the plans that a man or woman makes in their heart, but you order our steps? May we find ourselves in situations where we are just walking into the good that you've prepared in advance for us to do to show us that we have discerned your good, your pleasing, and your perfect will. Lord, as we look into some of the uh, things you call us to to operate as a community on next week, we pray that we would just be uh, mindful, that we can begin to discern some of the gifts that you have for us, if we have not already, even as we pray throughout this week, Lord. Uh, because what we want to do is we want to be used for your purposes. We want to have impact for such a time as this because, well, Lord, we're here and we're your people. So use us for your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, we thank you and we praise you. Amen, amen, and amen. amen.